Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. Hey everybody, good morning. Good morning. Let me get situated. It's good to, good to see all of you. It's good to be here with you. Um, we're starting a new sermon series here at Church at the Well this month. I don't know if you've heard, um, but it's called Tables. Journeying with Jesus through Luke's gospel. And so what we're going to do for the next 10 weeks is we're going to be with Jesus together as we look at 10 different tables that Jesus chose to sit at and eat at and teach at and break bread at and talk at all throughout the book of Luke. And I'm excited about this series. Uh, many of you have heard me talk about tables from up here, before, uh, like from the front before. And so it's probably no surprise to you, oh, this guy's like excited about the table series. Yes, I am. Um, but why look at tables? Like why spend time looking at tables? Why should we take time to observe these moments in Scripture and in the Gospels? What's so special about a table? Well, last week, Adam, you know, mentioned that tables are great equalizers. Right? And, and what we mean by that is, is what we all need to eat. It's a universal experience that we all could probably agree on. We all need to eat, and generally that happens at a table most times. <laughs> and we also know that tables reveal a lot about people. Right? We can learn a lot about people just by sitting across a table from them, especially like a dinner table. So we learn you know, who, um, who are people that make a lot of sound when they eat. Okay, who makes chomping sounds? We learn that about somebody. We learn um, whose parents uh, didn't mind if elbows were on the dinner table. Okay, I don't know anybody else. Uh, we also <laughs> we learn, you know, who's going to be the one taking the last dinner roll. And those sound like silly things, but those say a lot about people. And, and, and I think we can all agree that when we sit across a table from somebody, we get to know them more, and they get to know us more. We're, we are more fully known across the table. And I'm going to add on to what Adam said last week. I think that tables are actually, they're, they're stages. They're, they're stages for learning and, and transformation and for healing and, and for meaningful, significant, special conversations. And the same thing about uh, those tables can be said about the tables throughout Scripture, and particularly, as we'll soon find out, throughout the Gospels and the book of Luke. So in Scripture, tables are, in fact, equalizers. Okay, so in the case of Jesus, well, Jesus had to eat. Okay, I mean, that sounds pretty obvious, but Jesus had to eat just like his friends, just like his enemies. Okay, that was a universal experience there. Their bodies needed nourishment, and sometimes enemies became friends at some of these tables, and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but also there are tables in the Gospels where there are spaces of revelation, and we learn a lot about Jesus and about the company that he kept by looking at some of these tables in Scripture. And the Last Supper comes to mind for me of, of learning a lot about Jesus and about the company that he kept. And this isn't a hard thing for us to grasp, of this concept of tables being so meaningful, right? Because we know this to be true in our own lives. So we've had experiences where a table's been an equalizer uh, in the way of, okay, doesn't matter where I am, doesn't matter who's around me, doesn't matter what I'm needing or eating, I need to eat because if I don't, <laughs> it's going to go dark. We probably... Anybody had that experience? I'm just going to assume that we all um, have had that. And we've also learned a lot about the people in our lives across a table, right? Whether that's a dinner table 
or a first date coffee shop kind of table or a picnic table or a fold-up table, a boardroom table. And all of the tables in our lives, I'm, I'm sure, have had significant moments. There's been moments across a table from somebody. I think you can, I imagine you can think of a time where you experienced grief or pain or you received bad news while sitting at a table. And I wonder if you can also think of tables where you received good news and you experienced joy and you experienced celebration. And sometimes those happen at the same table, right? And sometimes they happen at the same time, right? Because I think life is a little bit like that. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at a scene from Luke 5. We're going to jump right in. I'm excited to get into the Bible this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Luke chapter 5. And if you don't have your Bible, it's going to be on the screen behind me. And I want to keep this question in mind as we read. I want to know what can we learn from Jesus by watching him around these tables? And, and what can we learn about Jesus through this passage? So Luke chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 27. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at a tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, and he left everything, and he followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating there with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, they complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. So this story is also in Mark 2 and Matthew 9, so if you want to do a little bit more digging, you can go there. And if, you, if you're new to reading the Bible this morning and you're here, or if you're not new to reading the Bible, it's always helpful to see these passages that we read on Sunday mornings as small excerpts of a bigger story. Right? So and to understand the smaller part, it's helpful to look at a little bit before, a little bit after, to know what's going on, to understand the context. Like You know when you see a Facebook post from your... Um, your most eccentric aunt. I'm not speaking from experience or anything. Um, and so you see this Facebook post and you are like, it's a quote from an article and you're like, wow, that is absolutely outrageous. <laughs> what, what, what's going on here? And so you click on the link there and you, you like pray to God nothing ha bad happens or nothing bad shows up. And so you read this article and you're like, wait, this has nothing to do with what that quote just said. This is a completely different story. Anybody else had that experience? Okay, yeah, I see some hands, right? Got some eccentric ants in the building. Thank you, Lord. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think we run the risk of doing that to Scripture as well if we just take a passage out and we don't appreciate the context. And so that's what we're going to do here for a little bit. What has happened so far in Luke chapter 5? Well, in Luke chapter 4, before this, Jesus goes to the synagogue in his hometown, and he quotes the book of Isaiah, essentially letting everybody know, hey, I'm Messiah. He says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm Messiah, everybody. <laughs> That's what he's saying. And some folks are amazed by that, but other folks, uh, most folks are trying to drive him out of town. Okay, so they push him near a cliff and they intend to throw him over the cliff. And somehow Jesus miraculously traverses this crowd unscathed. And then after that, 
he, he gets to work and he starts ministering. And so as Jesus starts his ministry here, he, he's followed by the Pharisees who are the religious leaders and the authorities of the day. And so the thing about it is many people claimed to be Messiah in this day and age. And the Pharisees would watch those people because surely if Messiah was there, the Pharisees would know. Right? The Pharisees would be able to recognize. So they watch the folks that are like, hey, I'm Messiah. And if they're not indeed the Messiah, well, then they're blasphemous and they must be dealt with accordingly. Hence the whole cliff situation, right? And so Jesus ends up causing such a wave in the region that the Pharisees are like, we got to keep an eye on this guy. We got to know what's going on. And so as Jesus starts his ministry and as he's followed by the Pharisees, he starts doing things and saying things that they provoke the confusion and the ire of the Pharisees, right? He's, he's doing things that are controversial and a little bit provocative. And so what we have in Luke chapter 5 are accounts of some of these controversies, and they're all kind of grouped together here. So we have Jesus healing a man that's paralyzed. So I don't know if you remember the story of, of, of the guys bringing their friend um, in a stretcher, and they bring him down through the roof, and Jesus heals the man. But first he says, hey, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees say, well, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus is like, you know what? You're so close. Have I got some news for you? <laughs> Jesus heals a man that's afflicted with leprosy, with a skin condition, by, not just by saying a word, but by touching him physically. This causes a commotion. And Jesus teaches about the Sabbath and about fasting, but in a way that doesn't fit what the Pharisees understood those things to be. And so here we find ourselves in Luke Verse 20, Luke chapter 5, verse 27, the story of Levi. And Jesus invites Levi, who is a tax collector, to follow him. And then, after that, Jesus shows up to Levi's house to share a meal with Levi and all of his pals. This was controversial. But why? What, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? I'm so glad you asked. Uh, to understand that, we've got to understand this tax collector piece of the story. The tax collectors were despised and they were hated in this day and age. And I, I, I always kind of wondered why. Just a confession. I was like, what's the big deal? You know, like, I don't necessarily get mad at, if this is like the IRS, like, I don't get mad at them when I have to pay my tax. Like, that's just kind of how it works, you know? Or I don't get mad at the parking attendant when they give me a ticket. Well, <laughs> um, so I only get a little bit mad, but I understand it. They're just doing their job. That's, that's part of the story. So the tax systems in these days that we're talking about were severely corrupt. And so tax collectors or potential tax collectors, this is how it works. So, so follow along with me here. So they bid for tax contracts. So they're like, I want to be the one responsible for collecting these tolls and these tariffs from people when they're traveling through. They're like, I want to be the one to make that money. And so the contract for that goes to the highest bidder. So whoever bids the highest money, they pay the government that money, and then they go out and they're like, okay, it's my job to do that. So then the tax collectors, they got to make that advance money back. So they go out and they charge the tolls and tariffs. So it's like, okay, crossing the, you know, crossing the border, do you have anything to declare? Yes, okay, you got to pay. It's kind of like that. Um, but what they would do is they charge this like normal price. And then they're like, oh, well, let's charge a little bit more because we got to make a profit on this advance. Oh, and, and also I think we would like some more money in our pockets. So we're going to charge like a lot, a lot, a lot more. Okay, 
That's what's going on here. So they exploit their role and their power, and they charge these ridiculous tariffs and taxes um, on the goods of travelers. And nobody argues because the soldier is right over there, and the soldier is ready to uh, step in if, if, if something's not going the way it ought to. Right? So I kind of think of it, respectfully, like airline travel. And I don't know if there's any CEOs of, 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 of airlines in here. I'm so sorry, but, but follow along with me here. So uh, it's not quite the same, but imagine. Okay, so my friend Kayla. Okay, so say Kayla buys a, a ticket to Maryland. She's like, I'm going to go to Maryland. She spends $400 on this ticket. Okay, like that makes sense. You know, that's a bummer. That's a lot of money, but let's, let's do it, okay? So Kayla gets to the gate, and the gate agent says, Hey, Kayla, I noticed that you have a purse on you, and you're going to have to pay the purse tax. Okay, so that's $140 extra. Oh, 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 and I noticed, sorry, I noticed that there's some Cheez-Its in your purse. You're going to have to pay the Cheez-It tax. And that's an extra $40, okay? And so what's Kayla going to do? Well, she's got to get on the plane. She's got to see her parents. The plane is about to leave. And she just spent like $12 on those Cheez-Its at the Hudson News. She's not going to throw them away. So she pays the tax. And, and if she even considers like, you know, causing a scene or maybe like, you know, doing something that's going to get her uh, to go viral on the internet, um, there's the TSA person right there who's ready to intervene in the event that something doesn't go the way it ought to, right? Does, does that, is that helpful? I think that was helpful for me. <laughs> and so, you know, Kayla pays the gate agent, you know, this, you know, hundreds of dollars. The gate agent pockets, you know, gives some back to the airline, but pockets most of that. It's kind of like that in Luke chapter 5, but worse. So I think we can imagine like being a tax collector, signing up for a role like that, it probably attracts um, some, some, some characters, right? Because this role requires dishonesty and deception um, at best and, and force at worst. And I'm not even getting into the political implications here. There's a lot of layers with the tax collectors, you know, somebody exploiting their own people on behalf of, of an oppressive Regime, there's, there's a lot of layers there. But why, why does this matter? Why am I spending time talking about this? Well, Jesus had invited some fishermen to follow him. So if you remember in the beginning um, of Luke chapter 5, he calls Simon, Peter, James, and John. And so they start to follow Jesus after Jesus causes a great bounty of fish to show up for them. And he's like, hey, follow me. And they're like, okay, yeah, let's do that. And so this takes place by the Sea of Galilee. Levi's tax booth is also likely near the Sea of Galilee. They're in Capernaum, where this is a, a town where fishing is part of the economy. It's at the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And, and I'm not saying that Levi is the one that actually collected the taxes um, from Peter, James, and John's huge bounty, or, or that they ever interacted with them. But surely the disciples had had some interactions with folks like Levi before. And so you can imagine there's going to be some tension where Jesus says, hey, Simon, Peter, James, and John, like, come along with me. Follow me. Oh, and by the way, Levi, why don't you follow me as well? <laughs> Here we are together. <laughs> Best friends. <laughs> and oh, and by the way, hey, we're going to a party tonight, and it's at Levi's house with all of the people who you hate and despise. Hope that's okay. You can see why there's some tension here. Let's go back to the Pharisees for a second because there's also some more layers. I just feel like teaching the Bible this morning, if that's okay. I'm, I'm going into it. Um, the Pharisees, they're the religious leaders, and in their fervor, they developed this cleanliness system 
right, on top of what God had outlined in the Old Testament in order for them to, okay, we're going to keep sin and impurity out, and we're going to keep what they understood as holiness and cleanliness on the inside. And if we just adhere to the rules and the codes and we follow all that and everybody does, it's going to be fine. So the Pharisees are also having feelings about Jesus hanging out with Levi and hanging out with tax collectors because the tax collectors are unclean. They have like, a, you know, a, a, a kind of a scummy way of living. And they're like, well, that, that's not good. That's unclean. And if Jesus is actually Messiah like he says he is, he's not going to be going to those types of places. <laughs> but he is, right? He's saying people's sins are forgiving. He's touching folks that we deem unclean and he's healing them and he's sharing a meal with, with those people, right? Those people, huh? He can't be Messiah so, uh, because Messiah wouldn't do that, so we've got to get rid of him. Jesus is clearly disregarding the established concepts of, of purity and separation. So, so naturally the Pharisees ask him, hey, like what's going on here? What's going on, Jesus? What do we learn from Jesus, from his response? What do we learn about Jesus? What do we learn from him? I think one thing we learn is that Jesus aligns himself with the marginalized. And so here we see Jesus, as we often do, spending time with outcasts, with the marginalized, with the hated and despised. And it's remarkable to me, though, that in this instance, Jesus chooses to spend time with the tax collector friends. Even though it's causing controversy, he's spending time with them. They're not innocent people, right? You can't make the case that they earned their cleanliness or that they like earned enough holiness points to like win the prize of, oh, Jesus coming to a dinner with them. That's not what happened here at all. It seems like the, the tax collectors, they're not even worried about that at that point. And you know who else doesn't seem to be bothered by that? It's Jesus, seems like Jesus is not even concerned at that moment in time. And, and Levi clearly had a moment of repentance, right? So Jesus says, hey, follow me. And Levi says, okay, I'll follow you. And so he leaves everything behind. He leaves behind this way of sin, and he reorients his life towards the way of Jesus, towards the way of the kingdom, away from the choices of the past. That, that's repentance. And so John the Baptist even talks about that in Luke chapter 3, earlier on in the story. So tax collectors are coming to John the Baptist and they say, hey, what do we do? We want to be baptized. And John the Baptist says, don't collect any more than you are required to. That's it. He doesn't say, go and burn down your tax booth and start a nonprofit. No, he says, reorient your life towards justice, towards righteousness, towards the way of Jesus. And so Levi had done that, but his buddies did not. Or we, we, don't, we don't see them, do, we don't, have that information that they actually did that. But Jesus still shows up, right? Jesus aligns himself with the marginalized and despised. So what else can we learn from Jesus at this table? Jesus is not made unclean. Okay, he makes clean. Jesus does not become sick. He heals the sick. Jesus touches the man that's afflicted with leprosy. Okay, and we already know that Jesus could have healed him with just a word. But he puts his hand on him. Why? It's on purpose. <laughs> He's provoking the Pharisees a little bit. 
Jesus invites Levi to follow him. And he could have left it at that. He said, okay, well, come on, Levi, we got to go. We got to get to our next town and we got to preach. And, you know, uh, there's people waiting for us. No, Jesus stops. And he goes to Levi's house and enters Levi's world on purpose and dines and reclines with one of the most despised groups of people on purpose. He enters the sickness, if you will, and he is not made sick. And if we're to think that Jesus is affected by sickness and brokenness to the extent that Jesus would become unclean or that, that, that for some reason Jesus thinks, oh, it's best if I stay away from sinful people, Jesus would have stayed away from our world, right? And the incarnation would not have happened. And this is such a different story from the ones that the Pharisees are, are living and telling and offering. But through these disruptive, controversial acts, Jesus is revealing a different story. He's revealing a different way, the way of the kingdom. Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. So essentially, I have not come to take seats away from the table. I've come to add seats to the table. Right? I haven't come to shrink the table. I've come to build the biggest leaf to fit in the middle of the table so that it can stretch out and that more and more and more people can come and sit and feast. I'm not here to keep people from goodness or holiness. I'm inviting them to be with me that they may become like me and then be made righteous and then be made holy by the power of my Holy Spirit. Amen? Jesus is not waiting for Levi's pals to learn the Lord's Prayer. He's not waiting for them to get their lives on track before being with them. Because that's not how it works. There's not a prescription or a regiment to follow or to, to, to follow that makes us more like Jesus that does not first start with being with Jesus. And Jesus, he's extending that invitation to his disciples at the time who are working through their own kind of conflict. Um, he extends that to Levi, to Levi's buddies, and even to the Pharisees, like these provocations, it's not Jesus just trying to ruffle feathers or be a contrarian. Jesus is inviting them. He's inviting the Pharisees to say, hey, come look at this. This is the way it ought to be. This is the way. Jesus is not made unclean. He makes clean. So in the same vein, we learn from this passage that Jesus, Jesus does not mind showing up in unsavory places. In fact, it seems like he's quite likely to show up in places where it doesn't quite make sense for him to be. Why? Because he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. When I uh, first moved to Vermont, I had connected with some folks who were in a neighboring state, I'll just put it that way, and they were interested in what I was doing in Burlington and what God was up to and it's funny, I don't know if you've had this experience, but it's funny when you tell people who are not from here, you say, oh, I live in Burlington, Vermont, or I'm moving there, and I love it. You know, my friends in California, I've said this before, I said, oh, I'm moving to Vermont. They said, oh, what state is that in? And I'm like, oh, boy, <laughs> that, that checks out. Um, I'm from Washington State, so I told my friends, hey, I'm moving to Vermont. They said, oh, it's kind of like here, but smaller, right? And I was like, well, okay, like, yeah. Um, and then I've got friends from, 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 from certain contexts and from certain places 
of the world who, um, when I say, hey, oh, I'm, I'm, living in, I'm living in Burlington, Vermont, and I love it, and I'm so happy to be there, they say, oh, oh, well, that, that's a dark place. Anybody heard that before? Oh, that's a dark place. That is a liberal hellscape. That is a dark place. Okay, so I'm, <laughs> so I'm with my friends from a neighboring state. Um, and I, you know, I'm telling them what God's doing and how, how grateful I am. I was working at Starbucks at the time, and so I was telling them about my coworkers and how different than they were from me and how much God was actually at work in their lives, and they weren't even following Jesus, but Jesus was up to something. And, and, and they're like, oh, well, well, what are you going to do about blank? And so the blank means like any hot, um, hot button like topic or issue that you just thought of. Fill in the blank there. That's probably what they said. And I'm also not going to say it because it will get me canceled in Burlington, Vermont. If I say what the word that they said, uh, what are you going to do about? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Oh, what are you going to? <clears throat> we got to pray. Oh, that is a dark place. I'm like, okay, well, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure what I said at the moment, but I realized that if I was going to be with Jesus, I was going to have to be with him with these groups of people that my new friends would describe as dark or unsavory or whatever descriptor that you came up with in your head. But I was also going to have to be with them. <laughs> like it was, it, it, it was going to be so easy for me to return the favor and withhold kindness from them because I was like, oh, well, they just don't get it. I'm doing the same thing that they are, right? What I was being invited to first is to just show up. To show up in spaces that others might deem dark or unsavory. To show up in spaces where my Christian friends were like, oh, that's dark. To show up in spaces where my coworkers were like, oh, we hate those guys. <laughs> to show up. Do I think that Jesus wants folks to stay where they are forever and never be shaped and formed more and more into his image? Like, do I believe? No. Of course not. But do I think that Jesus knows what he's doing and that he's much more interested in first being with us and us being with him? I think that feels more like it. Because I've seen that in my own story, and we see that around the table in Luke chapter 5. Jesus is not in a rush to get people cleaned up in order to follow him. I wonder if Jesus is endlessly patient, and, and I wonder if Jesus is not done with us until we see him face to face. So he's patient, and as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, the Holy Spirit shapes and forms us. That's how it works. But I notice about Jesus, he refuses to see folks as an issue or a title or clean and unclean or holy or unholy. It seems to me that Jesus is intent, again, to show up in unsavory places and unconventional tables. And when he shows up, it's like the loaves and fishes, but with chairs, right? It's like, wait, we only had four chairs here before, but now there are so many people at this table. What is going on? There's people that keep coming and coming, and somehow we still have room for them because God, because the kingdom, that's how it works. That's how it works. 
So what does this mean for you and for me? Maybe when you hear Luke 5 and you sit at this table with Jesus, you find yourself on the side of the marginalized and the maligned. Hear the good news today, my friend. Jesus is a type. He's coming to your party. Jesus is, is coming to your party, and sometimes he's disruptive, and sometimes he says things that people are not going to like, <laughs> but he's good news. Like imagine the delight of Levi having recently chosen to take a risk and follow Jesus. The delight that Jesus would choose to enter his world and talk to his friends and be with his friends and, and not curse or shame them, but to be with them, to show up in the midst of them. And it's like not for a quick, oh, let's touch base or hey, um, let's grab coffee real quick. Jesus is there for the whole meal. And, and he's, he's, he's reclining and he's dining with these friends where in this culture, friendship and community and unity are all displayed and expressed at the table. Hear the good news, okay? Jesus is coming to your party. And maybe you are with me this morning, and you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but maybe you identify with the Pharisees in the story. And there's part of you that when you heard that story, you're like, oh, I just cannot deal with those people. Do you know what I, do you know what I mean by that? The, the others. I'm, I have a list here. I, I won't list them because I, I think you follow. Oh, I, I, just, I just can't deal with it because they just don't get it. Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. I wonder if there's a lesson for me here to learn from Levi, right? Where Levi reorients his life towards the purposes and the kingdom of God, but not in the way that I thought. It's the way of Jesus that breaks down barriers and expands the table and opens the door more and more for more to enter in. So maybe this morning, if you are like me and identify in that place, maybe we ask for Jesus' help. Like, Lord, help us to set a bigger table. Or, or Lord, help me to partner with you as you set a bigger table. That, that feels more like it. Finally, um, I'll close with this. Perhaps this morning, as you hear Luke chapter 5 and you sit around this table and observe, maybe you look at Levi and you're like, oh, yeah, that's my guy. That feels like me. And you're stuck in a bad way, in a bad situation. Maybe you chose to be, maybe, maybe that was your fault. Maybe you got there yourself. Maybe you just ended up there for, for whatever reason. You're in the proverbial tax booth. And maybe Jesus is saying to you, follow me. And there's an invitation there to leave behind the ways of old and to allow the Holy Spirit to reorient your life towards the purposes and plans and the thrills of the story of God, the kingdom of God. Maybe, maybe Jesus, maybe if, you, if you're in that group, maybe Jesus is assuring you this morning that he's not waiting for you to clean up your life in order for him to invite you. Okay, maybe you're waiting for that, but he's not. The invitation is there. He says, hey, let me take care of that. Follow me. Follow me. Do you notice how Jesus approaches Levi while he's in the booth? Comes from when he's in the booth, in the act of doing the thing that everybody hated him for. 
And it's there that Jesus says, hey, follow me. And so maybe as you say yes to Jesus, and maybe for the first time, and maybe for all of us, as we say yes to Jesus over and over and over again, maybe Jesus would reveal more of his character and his heart to us as we sit at table with him. Maybe Jesus is interested in shaping our stories right now, right where we are. Jesus is not made unclean. He makes clean. Amen? He makes clean. Let's pray. Why don't you bow your heads and and we'll pray together. Invite the band up. Jesus, we're, we're grateful for your word and we're grateful for a chance to be with you together. Thank you, Jesus, for the invitation to your story the invitation to your ever-expanding and growing table. And thank you, Jesus, that yours is a story of restoration and not separation. I think of the scripture in Ephesians 2. It says, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus, we thank you for that word. May we receive your invitation to your way with joy. And, And Holy Spirit, help us. Help us. We need you. Help us to partner with your work in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our tables in Burlington and beyond, and help us to reflect your goodness and kindness, Lord. And for the next 10 weeks, Jesus, as we sit with you at table, would we look different on the other side of this 10 weeks as a church than we do now, Lord? Would we look more like you on the other side of this, Jesus? Would you be shaping us, informing us, And Lord, for the folks that, that, that feel like they're stuck in the tax booth, Jesus, we lift those up to you. And Lord, we thank you for your peace. Would you cover them with your peace? We thank you, Lord, for your patience. Would you, would you remind them of your patience? And Lord, thank you that you understand the risk. God, you, you know our hearts and you know what it's like for us to step out and risk the invitation to say yes to you. Thank you, God, that the the invitation still remains. Lord, give us the courage to say yes to you, to your story over and over and over again. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. Why don't we stand and, and we'll worship together. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church of the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.